Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you have set aside a day for worship. Help us to be able to disconnect from the things that distract us and help us to be able to focus uh, intently and expectantly at your feet. I pray that you would speak to us through your word. I pray that you use my words uh, to encourage your people and that your spirit would be at work in all of us, that you would produce fruit, that this would not just be an exercise in uh, learning a few facts, that our hearts could be changed and that we would know you better and follow you better and love you and each other better. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I was uh, getting into this text, there's a whole lot that uh, you can focus on, and some have preached this text with a real focus on what it means to be a minister of the gospel. Others have focused on uh, Timothy's role, and uh, and those are great things, and I'm going to admit, as as I feel like I often do, uh, there's no way I can cover everything in this text, uh, and I just want to acknowledge that up front. But as I was is reading this text, and especially the first verses a little bit before, there's some things that come out that, if you read them quickly, they may not uh, raise any red flags. And then you stop to think about what the text is saying. And uh, there are some strange things that seem to pop up, at least for us as American Christians. Uh, if you read closely, uh, I was a little bit cheeky, as the British would say, in my title, and it's not often that you associate worry with an apostle or pride either, uh, and yet we seem to see both going on, and so I want to unpack that, and I want to be very careful about you know, what's going on in the text, and then you know, what do we have permission to do, uh, what don't we have permission to do, but when you read the text, Paul is clearly worried. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy. Now you can try to soften that, and you can say, well, Paul is just concerned. Uh, this isn't worry. This isn't, uh, this isn't you know, Paul's not being emotional. He's, he's just a little bit concerned, except that's not what the text says. And uh, other translations will say, when we could forbear no longer, when we could hold back no longer. That seems strange to us. Here's Paul, apostle of God, the one who learned to be content in all things. The person who wrote most of what the New Testament has to say about God being uh, a God who predestines. Now, there are other passages that do, and I'm not suggesting he invented it. I'm not suggesting Jesus didn't believe it. I'm not, But Paul uses the word predestined or elected more than anyone else in the New Testament. He did not have problems knowing that God was in control, and yet here he is, unable to bear what's going on. Well, why? Uh, and then you dig it a little deeper. Paul had been in Thessalonica, and he had planted a church. 
And because of the uprising of uh, the Jewish people who didn't like his message, uh, who were, I, I suppose in a way, like many Sauls of Tarsus, doing what Saul of Tarsus did before, trying to stamp down this new church, Paul was run out of town. Uh, he, he feared for his life. He had to get out, and he wanted to go back. Well, then you read another strange thing if you go back to the passage we read last week. Well, why doesn't Paul just go back? And what we read is this, that um, uh, in chapter, or in uh, chapter 2, verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, but... B- because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Well, that doesn't make it easier. So Paul is worried because he had to leave early. And Paul has been stopped by Satan repeatedly. Uh, What is going on here? And I want to unpack this a little bit, and then I want to focus on kind of the result of of what happens when Timothy goes and and brings back a good report. Now, Paul, again, had preached the gospel in Thessalonica. You can read this in Acts 17. He was run out of town by Jews who opposed him, and so he left early. Uh, It seems, too, that it's at least possible that he had been accused of abandoning them, of not caring, of perhaps beginning with sinister intent from the very beginning. Uh, At least Paul seems to be concerned that they know this is not what's going on. Uh, Certainly Paul had enemies in Thessalonica. uh, And Paul is concerned for them. He had to leave before he finished his job. The church was sort of set up, and then he had to go. Uh, Those of you who have been in charge of others, uh, take one of your important projects or one of your important commands. You get it started, and then you have to leave and just hope that everything goes okay. Uh, I suppose you can add in prayer. But Paul was taken away uh, forcefully and had uh, had to leave them. And again, Satan hinders him. And so, though he eagerly wants to go back, check on them, and kind of finish the work that he started in establishing the church, he can't. And uh, it's worth taking just a moment, I don't want to take too long, but to say Satan is real. Uh, Satan was able to hinder Paul. Uh, Now, God is in control over that. Uh, And certainly at the end, we see, of this passage, we see that God is in control. In the book of Daniel, which we've also been studying uh, kind of over time, in chapter 12, we find that Daniel's angel, uh, whatever it means for Daniel to have an angel, uh, an angel comes to Daniel and said, look, I wanted to come to you three weeks ago, but, uh, but I was delayed for three weeks because of uh, satanic uh, power. Uh, And so we can say Satan is real. Satan is at work. Satan 
according to 1 Peter 5, 18, is uh, prowling around like a lion waiting for someone to devour. But we also know Satan has been defeated and is bound. And so we can underestimate Satan, which we don't want to do. We can also overestimate him. Uh, But coming back to kind of the text in front of us. So Paul has been uh, pulled away from the Thessalonians. He has been hindered from going to check on them. And over time, he is becoming more and more concerned. Uh, And I'm just going to say, you could say he's worried for them. Now, what what exactly is going on? Uh, Is Paul concerned that they have been truly saved and have now lost their faith? I don't think so. Uh, Paul, I'm convinced, uh, believes what came to be known later in theology as perseverance of the saints. Uh, This is the idea that if someone is really saved, the Holy Spirit is at work. And the Holy Spirit is going to complete the work that he began. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Also in John 10, that passage I I read, um, no one can snatch them out of my hand. In other words, if you're a Christian, you are in Jesus' hands, and nothing is going to pull you out of that. Uh, Paul says similar things in Romans 8, that those... Uh, who have been called, will make it all the way to glory and that nothing is going to stand against those uh, who believe in Jesus. So I don't think Paul is afraid that they've lost their salvation in the sense of they were true believers and lost that. But I think it makes great sense to say that Paul is afraid that, that he began the work and that what happened was an emotional response that was not a deeply rooted conversion. To put it in uh, other terms, in Mark chapter 4 and other passages, we have the parable of the sower. And we read that, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And of course, there's another kind of soil that produces fruit. But Paul's fear, I think, is that Uh, they were that kind of soil, that they weren't truly converted, that they weren't rooted in the faith. And so we read that when he could bear it no longer, he sent Timothy uh, to establish and exhort you in the faith, verse 3, so that no one would be moved by these afflictions. This is one of those times when the ESV has done a fantastic job of translating the Greek, and I think it just doesn't quite work in terms of feel. We read, so that no one might be moved by these afflictions. That that just comes off a bit mild. Uh, 
it wouldn't be a word-for-word -word translation, but I think it gets more at the idea of what Paul has in mind to say something like, we sent Timothy to establish and exhort you that no one be removed, that no one be shaken away. Uh, Paul is not concerned for their comfort here. He's concerned for their soul. Uh, he knows there's going to be affliction. He told them that. Um, Paul's fear is not that they're going to be bothered, that they're going to be uncomfortable, that they're going to suffer. He knows all those things are going to happen. His fear is that they are shallow soil or soil with these, uh, these weeds that are going to come up and choke the life out of them. Paul says... Uh, pretty much exactly this in verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Well, why is he so worried? Why is he so concerned? Becoming a Christian was not a light decision for the Thessalonians, uh, as evidenced by the reaction of of the town. Uh, Paul was run out of town. He could have easily died. Uh, God preserved him. He had more things to do. Uh, but there was real danger. And there are real trials that are present. And we live in a country where you can say to somebody who's not a Christian something like, I, I became a Christian recently. And you'll get the response, sometimes, something like that, like this. Oh, that's great. You know, we really need more religious people in the world. Um, and, you know, that's very nice for you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad for you. Um, now, you'll get other reactions too, but contrast that with someone who becomes a Christian in Saudi Arabia. You will not get that answer. Uh, and as I mentioned last time, I've been reading and listening to a guy named Nabil Qureshi, who was a Muslim, who was a Muslim who evangelized other people for Islam. And he became a Christian. And when he became a Christian, uh, he said that one of the very difficult things, once he knew it was true, once he knew Jesus was true, he knew that he had to say goodbye to his family completely, to his social life, uh, possibly even to his life. Uh, and I encourage you, you know, listen to him, read it, hear his story. Uh, the Thessalonians were not in an, a Muslim country, but they were in a pagan country, and becoming a Christian had real consequences. And Paul warns them, ahead of time. There are going to be afflictions. There's going to be suffering. One commentator puts it this way. Paul is not thinking of a period of persecution which will pass and the church return to normality. Normality is persecution. In, another, in other words, life as a Christian uh, certainly can mean uh, a life where being a Christian 
results in suffering in this life, in trials, in persecutions. And we should expect that. Uh, And I think in our culture, we're seeing a drift kind of slowly, steadily in that direction where being a Christian is becoming more and more antithetical, more and more opposed to the values of at least the cultural majority, uh, if, if not the actual majority, it's, I think, on its way. So Paul is concerned. Paul is worried. Now, does this mean Paul doesn't have faith? Is Paul's problem that Paul just needs to have a little more faith, that it's going to be okay, that Jesus is in control? I don't think so. I think Paul knows that. I think he knows it fully. And what's going on in Paul's mind and Paul's heart is not the same thing as sinful worry. Uh, But, on the other hand, one of the things we see in this text is emotions are actually okay. Uh, Paul's concern for them is not sinful. His anguish is not sinful. Um, Instead, what we see is that redeemed emotions are part of the Christian life. Um, Kind of unpacking this a little bit. I'm pretty good at worrying. Uh, I don't do it all the time, but when big things come up, I am fantastic at it. And here's how it works for me. Uh, One example, before I moved here, I was looking for a job. My wife and I were engaged. She was on the other side of the planet. And uh, I was looking for a job. And here's the type of thing that'll happen. Some of you might relate to this. You go to a job interview, you have the job interview, and you start replaying it. And the more you replay it, the more you have what I would describe as kind of a mental Rubik's Cube going on in your mind. And you start thinking, well, if I can just think this through right, well, then I'm going to get all the colors on the right side, and it's going to work. And there's this idea that by spinning around in my head and in my heart, that I am going to affect some kind of change. And so we lie awake at night, thinking about something that we have absolutely no control over, as if my thinking through my alternate responses is going to change how the man or woman doing the evaluation of my resume, that's not going to do anything. And what is that kind of worry? That's me saying to myself that by worrying, I am going to fix this. Well, that's exactly what Jesus tells us not to do. In Matthew 6, therefore, do not be anxious, or you could say do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the pagans, seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Now, actually, when you, when you look at this, I'm very convinced that Paul is not just 
working a mental Rubik's Cube in his mind and in his heart and trying to fix it on his own. Instead, I think he's directing it to God in prayer. Likewise, when you look at the alternative presented in Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow, but seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. Well, what is Paul doing? He is seeking the kingdom of God. Again, Paul says in Philippians 4, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So he's not worrying about tomorrow in the sense of trying to mentally uh, wrestle reality uh, into doing what he wants. What's happening instead is he is going before God with sincerity and love and deep concern. And we find in verse 9 that even after he hears a a good report that, uh, verse 10, "As, as we pray most earnestly night and day, Paul is going before the Heavenly Father. Paul is bringing this before God and pouring out himself before God, saying, God, take care of this. Now, one of the wonderful kind of results of this text is that it doesn't mean that Christianity is devoid of emotion. Uh, Paul is emotional. Paul is fully engaged. He is, uh, he is burdened for them. Again, I think in a godly kind of way, but his emotions are fully engaged. Sometimes you get the idea that faith means kind of a disconnected uh, certainty. That to have faith that God is going to do something almost means you just don't care whether God does it or not. Uh, that you're that detached. Uh, that's not what Paul demonstrates. Uh, In the pagan world, there was a philosophy called Stoicism. Stoicism is appealing to some of us. Uh, The basic idea of it was that what is spiritual is good. What is physical is a prison. And Physical, therefore, is bad. And so I want to become disconnected. I want to distance myself from desire. I want to distance myself from pleasure. I want to distance myself from caring about suffering so that I can kind of climb up into perfection. You get similar ideas in Buddhism, that if I can achieve enlightenment It's going to be a disconnect of the physical and the spiritual. And and through that, I'm going to become more spiritual. Well, that's not what's going on here at all. Paul is fully engaged at the beginning. And he's fully engaged at the end. And he moves from one emotion to the other. He moves from not being able to bear it any longer to being absolutely filled with a kind of fatherly pride, not a wrong kind, but 
a joy that God has worked his purposes and that God has come through and that his children in the faith are blossoming. That's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Now, a word of caution on worry. Uh, being emotional as a Christian is something we have to be very careful of. There is a prevailing tendency both inside and outside of Christianity to say, there's nothing wrong with the emotions that I feel. It's just what I do with them that matters. So I can be angry at you. I just can't sin because of that anger. Well, that's not quite right. Uh, now, anger can be a good emotion, an appropriate emotion. I maintain that we're very bad at righteous anger. Uh, but one, uh, one writer, Dan Allender, uh, writes a book with Tem Tremper Longman. Uh, and Dan Allender wrote a book called Cry of the Soul. And he talks about how our emotions are, are uh, well, difficult and appropriate, fallen and helpful. And he talks about our emotions being a window into our, what's going on deep in our soul and emotions very often showing us what's going on between us and God. And he addresses this issue about how... I have emotions, they're fine, I just need to do the right thing with them. And he says, no, that's, that's a terrible view of the results of the fall. Uh, our emotions are every bit as fallen as the rest of us. Uh, our bodies are fallen. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, at a certain point in life, you get to the point where you lean over to like, pick up... Uh, a book that you dropped and you try to stand up and you go, ow, uh, our, bodies, our bodies experience the fall. How about our desires? Well, we wouldn't say that our desires are unfallen. It's just what we do with them. No, there are inappropriate desires. That's an easy one. Well, so it is with our emotions. Sometimes when I'm angry... I shouldn't be angry. It's actually an inappropriate emotion. Uh, sometimes when I'm sad, it's, well, I shouldn't be. Sometimes when we go into despair, uh, well, there's an ungodliness that can be there as we don't reflect on, on what's been done for us in Christ. Sometimes when uh, you know, jealousy, that's an, an easy one to see where it, it can be an inappropriate emotion. And so when we look at this, we need to ask, well, are you a worrier? Uh, like I certainly am and can be. And we need to make sure that um, what we don't hear from this text is permission to worry about anything. Um, and one test that we can do for own, our own hearts is this. Check what we're worrying about. Are, worry, are we worried about tomorrow? Well, we're told not to do that. Um, now, if you're parents and you're you know, worried about your children, that seems to be at least close to what's going on here. Now, there are wrong ways to do that, and there are right ways, but it, and if 
if you are concerned, if you are feeling some kind of worry, what do you do with it? Do you go inward? Well, that's not appropriate. Do you go, do you go to God? That's appropriate. Um, and so emotion is certainly appropriate at times. Uh, and being a Christian means that we are looking uh, to be emotional and have Christ redeem our emotions and direct us. But we also have to be careful not to take all our emotions and assume that, well, since I'm a Christian, what I'm feeling right now is right. Well, Paul was concerned. What did he do? We know he prayed. And then he sends Timothy. This would have been a sacrifice for what he was doing. Uh, it says that uh, in our text, um, when we could bear it no longer, we, will, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. There was a lot to be done in Athens. And you can read about it in Acts 17. And yet they decide, look, Timothy, the best thing is for you to go. Uh, this was a sacrifice for them, for Paul, and it may have been dangerous for Timothy. After all, Paul had been run out of town. Uh, they didn't really have any assurance that the same thing wouldn't have happened or worse to Timothy. And yet, Paul looks to Timothy as a brother and fellow servant, and Paul is able to trust that Timothy will represent him well. Uh, we see in verse 2, Timothy is sent to establish and exhort. He is sent to make sure that they are rooted, kind of finish their training, to finish establishing them, to make sure that they know how to be a church, that they're reminded of the gospel, that they are saved by grace through faith, not by works. There's more that I could say on this, but... We know that God's purpose is being worked out. There's a sense that Paul wanted to go. Satan hindered him, but God was in control. God wanted Paul there. There was nothing that could keep Paul away. Uh, after all, God could take Elijah and have him appear and reappear at least once. Uh, and... God could still do that. But God wanted Timothy to go. Uh, perhaps because of what was going on in Athens, perhaps because of Timothy's specific gift. Uh, we don't really know. We know that God's purpose is being worked out. And we know that when he comes back, there's good news. God has been at work. I mentioned I was a little bit cheeky. I was a little bit um, tongue-in-cheek in my title that here we have a worried father, and worry is most often wrong. And we have, a, we have Paul as proud papa, as looking at the people and just beaming. And we know pride is not something that we should, should have, at least arrogance. And arrogance is something that says, look at me and look at how great I am. 
Uh, And Paul, in other places, says, I only boast in Christ. And if I'm going to boast in anything, it'll be in my weaknesses. But really, I'm just going to boast in Christ and him crucified. And so when we find that Paul is effectively boasting about them uh, and how great they're doing, and at least from the surface of it, being very filled with at least an affirmative, positive feeling that we would say he's proud of his kids. What's going on? Well, this is not Paul boasting in himself. This is not Paul being arrogant. This is not Paul uh, looking at them and saying, I did such a fantastic job, and because I did such a fantastic job, you guys made it. Well done, me. That's not what's going on. Instead, what he sees is they're still there. They're still worshiping. They still love Jesus. Uh, And with a little bit of icing on the cake, they they remember Paul fondly. They don't look at him and and say, what a jerk. Uh, They remember their time with him as a good thing. Uh, We see this in verse 6, that you always remember us kindly and long to see us. And how wonderful that must have been for Paul, who it seems at least was afraid that they thought of him as abandoning them. And he realizes, no, he loves them, they love him. And God has done something amazing. And we see that this is the case because the result is not that Paul boasts in himself. In verse 9... Verse 8, it says, now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. In other words, we're not just existing anymore. We are really thriving because we're filled with excitement. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? Paul directs it back to God. In his godly concern, he goes to God. In uh, In his joy, he goes back to God. And the result of what he finds, we read in verses 7 and 8. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. So what happens? Paul is concerned. Paul is heavy. Now bringing that before God, yes, but it's a heaviness. And he finds out they have made it through suffering. They have made it through trials. And the result is that Paul is encouraged in his own trials. And there's a mutual giving of life. Paul is no longer just going day to day and existing, but he is filled with joy. I had the privilege of going back to California, and we traveled as a family. And one of the great joys was going back to my church in San Luis Obispo, California. When I moved here, I preached kind of a farewell sermon, and the new pastor was, he was there. Uh, He had joined the service, but his work week started the next work week or the next week. So 
Now, uh, in God's providence, he's actually moving on to another job. But going back and seeing that in nine years, the church has been thriving was an absolute delight. And, uh, and seeing people I wondered about, are they still there? Yes, they're there. They're doing well. Uh, is such a joy. And it was such a joy to worship with them and be encouraged and to see that the church has grown. It's a wonderful thing to go back to your home church and look around and say, wow, I don't know a lot of these people. Uh, now, of course, it's, it's great to see the people you've seen before, but to see that God is growing the church is an absolute delight and something I had nothing to do with. God was at work. God has been at work uh, through his people, certainly, but God is at work. Now, what do we see in Paul? We see Paul reflecting the heart of the good shepherd. Paul loved them deeply, just as Christ loved Paul deeply and loved his church deeply. And what does this say to us? To those of us who are your pastors, to Todd and I, and to Bill as your elder, and uh, to any others in your life who are pastors either later or in the past, our great joy is to see you encouraged in the faith. Uh, As a pastor, I should not stand up here so that I'll feel good about what I'm doing. Uh, if I go home and think, well, that was a well-crafted sermon, well, that's, that's fine, I guess. But are you doing well? Are we encouraging you? Are we encouraging you to grow in the faith? That should be our joy. And we need to love you. And you can pray for us that we love you more and more and that we love you better. For those of you who are here as church members, one of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg, puts it this way in preaching on this text. uh, One of his conclusions is that speaking on this issue of joy, now we really live. How do you have joy? Jesus is first, others second, yourself last. Jesus first, Others second, yourself last. Reversing this results in in misery. So if you want to have joy, you put Jesus first. You put others first. And you come last. That seems very opposite of what the world would tell you. But it is what Jesus said. Um, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Paul lived this out. We are called to live this out. And uh, as much as we look inside ourselves, we will continue to find sin, we'll continue to find stuff that is difficult, that needs work. We will find things that disgust us. God is going to keep working, but if we only look within, that'll never stop. And if we as a church 
just try to fix our own problems. Well, there are always going to be new problems. And so what we need to do is to look outward. Look to Jesus first. Seek first his kingdom. Look to others second. And then ourselves last. And and the words of Jesus say, and all these things will be added to you as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your word would take root in our hearts. I pray that you'd be with us in our emotional life, that you would purify our emotions, that we would feel free to be emotional uh, in the right ways, but that we would not worry in ungodly ways, that we would be able to delight when others are thriving, that we would not be proud of ourselves, that we would love each other well, and that we would put you first. We pray that you will hold true to your word, keep your promise, that if we do that, all things will be added to us. Help us to remember this is by grace alone. In Jesus' name.